is New Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. My name is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb, and you are listening to the ARC Light program. What ho, we're back with a bang. Ugh, did you write this nonsense, Mabel? Ooh, well, I really must remember to attend the scripting meeting next time. Anyway, we are back for a new year, and all the hijinks, oh, Mabel, you have come to expect from your friends here at the Albion Radiophonic Corporation. Coming up soon is another episode of our Settle Softly Towards Sleeping series, Slumbertime Stories. But first, in a bid to involve more listeners in our show and get some more use out of our expensive new telephonic system, we bring you a new feature called Can You Guess What It Is That I'm Describing? Which is less complicated than it sounds. Each week, a listener will get the chance to win up to three shillings by attempting to guess what I'm describing. There will be three clues to assist them. And if they get it at the first attempt, they will win the aforementioned three shillings. If they need two clues, they win one shilling and threepence. And if they need all three clues, then they will win eightpence halfpenny. Now, if you're one of our regulars, you will know that we've been less than wholly successful at getting listeners to telephone in. So hopefully this monetary incentive will encourage them. To make doubly sure, we have pre-selected a listener this week to avoid otherwise inevitable anti-climax. Uh, so are we braced for this nonsense? Uh, I mean, riveting, interactive experience. Uh, right. Well, here we go anyway. Operator, please connect me to Treacle Dripping 3. That's Treacle Dripping 3. Yeah, well, it's, it's ringing, at least. Oh, hoi, hoi! Uh, trickle tripping, telephone apparatus number three. Uh, Mayor Flange present and speaking. Aha! Uh, Mr. Flange, this is the Albion Radiophonic Corporation. Theodore calling. Are you ready to play? Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Yes, I am. I'm going to win the three shillings and no mistake. Well, we'll see about that. Right. Well, here we go. Here is your first clue. <clears throat> if you take a walk, you could find me growing in a wood. Ah, <laughs> find me growing in the wood. Mm, um, tricky one. Uh, let me think. Um, oh. Since we don't actually have all day... I must trouble you for an answer. Oh dear, oh, it's ever so hard. Oh, wait, 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 I know, I know, I've got it. It's a goat. Uh, well, whilst I do admire your left field thinking, um, no, it isn't a goat. Oh, oh really? Oh, oh, that's a shame. Are you absolutely sure? It does sound like a goat. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm quite sure. It, it's really even simpler than that. Oh, well. For one shilling and threepence, here is the second clue. Right-o. Here we go, then. This time to win one shilling and threepence. 
No matter what one believes, I am usually dressed in leaves. Oh, that's ever so hard. Can I ask the audience? Do what? No, you can't ask the audience. Oh, I'm not sure we even have one anymore. Please do give an answer of some description. Oh dear, oh dear. Oh, well, in that case, I'll have to ask my wife. Doris? Doris? Y yes, my lover? What grows in the wood and is covered in leaves? Oh, my lover. Oh, that's ever so hard. Um, is it a goat? Is it a goat? You already guessed that, and I've already told you that it's not a blooming goat. Really? Are you sure? My wife seems very convinced. Oh, my lover, I'm very convinced. It must be a goat, surely. No, no, it isn't a goat. It wasn't a goat before, and it's not a goat now. It's not a goat! Keep your shirt on. Oh, we're actually almost out of time. So without delay, here is the final clue for eight and a half pence. Finally, now you will see. My name, it doth rhyme with key. Oh, rhymes with key. Leaves. Grows in a wood. Not a goat. Oh dear, oh dear, whatever can it be. Oh, uh, that's it, my lover. A bee. Uh, is it a bumbly bee? Oh, no, it's not a bee. Oh, for crying out loud, a bee doesn't have leaves. Doesn't it? No! Well, if it's not a goat, and it's not a bee, then what on earth is it? It's a tree! A tree! Oh. Goodbye. Well, that was a total waste of everybody's time. Oh, Mabel, are we really planning to do all that again next week? Oh, heavens to goodness. Apparently we are. And I, for one, can barely control my interest. Uh, I mean, excitement. And now on the light programme, it's time for Slumbertime Stories. And this week, it's part one of an exciting modern adventure, cryptically named Monkey Teaspoon Design Agency. ARC presents... Part 1 of Monkey Teaspoon Design Agency by Darren Callow Rusty Inglemop was late for work, and it was making her a bit anxious. It was bad enough that the first Lanchester Central Omnitram had been crammed to the seams, but the second to arrive only had standing room on the third floor. Rusty had hoped to arrive at work ready for anything, but in her least shoddy slacks and over-polished work shoes, she now felt only hot and flustered. Not the perfect way to kick off her first day at the best design agency in town, nay, the whole country, although no one in the metropolis would ever concede this point. This was just one of the reasons why she was so keen to get a position here, but also why she was so desperate to make a good impression on her first day. Rounding the corner to Cecil Street, dodging nimbly to miss the commuters hurrying this way and that, 
she got her first glimpse of the magnificently modern two-storey building that in gleaming two-foot-high brass letters with incandescent light bulbs boldly declared itself to be the Monkey Teaspoon Design Agency. The agency was indeed renowned across the whole of the land, but since it was located in New Albion's second city, it was afflicted with a certain inferiority complex that led it to grab any chance to show off. One of those opportunities for bragging rights was through its incredible state-of-the-art travelling hot desk system, which ran over two floors and was the envy of every civilised bit of the globe. She had been warned in no uncertain terms that it was imperative to arrive between 8.47 and 9.08 to make her desk allocation. The consequences of missing this foreboding departure time made her shiver inside, as finally she made it to the agency gates and looked around desperately for her rendezvous. She had been told to report to the clocking-in machine where one of the under-designers in her team would be there to show her the ropes. Glancing this way and that as she skipped up the marble staircase to the gleaming lobby, she plumped for the complicated-looking machine with three clock faces, alarmingly reading six minutes past nine in glorious triplicate, and racks of paper cards either side, indicating all those in the 200-strong workforce who were in, or indeed, yet to arrive. Waiting patiently for her under the eccentric contraption was a young lady with slightly dishevelled red hair and old-fashioned spectacles, holding a card and glancing with seemingly equal nervousness in all directions. As Rusty approached, the lady's face lit up with hope, if not actual delight, and she proffered a clammy hand. You must be Inglebop. I'm Arkwright. You could call me Nancy, though. She almost found a smile as they shook hands, somewhat perfunctorily. Inglemop, yes, uh, Rusty, you know, uh, good to, um, you know, likewise, garbled Rusty, taking the piece of card that Nancy had in her other hand, which was neatly embossed with the words, Ah, Tingledrop. You, you cut it a bit fine there, Rusty. Insert here. Nancy pointed to a slot in the oak and brass contraption, and before Rusty could utter one syllable of complaint about the misspelling of her name, the machine sucked the card out of her hand and started clattering and chuntering vigorously. Then, after various clockwork mechanisms had finished their work, with the ding of a tiny bell and a two-tone whistle, the card was expelled back into Rusty's sweaty paw. She glanced down to see that it was neatly stamped 090758. Oh, gosh, uh, that's all jolly precise. Um, uh, time, you know, blurted Rusty as Nancy guided her to pop the card into a vacant slot in the right-hand rack. Y you just made it. Better crack on, though, as we need to get a desk with our team or there'll be no end of troubles. And so, with still not a window of opportunity to mention the name issues, 
they were on their way from clocking in to filing, with barely a breath in between. It was only a short hop, skip and jump to filing, but in that short time, Nancy filled her in a little on her new team. I'm, I'm Deputy Vice Leader of Underlining Team B, she began, as she strode purposefully ahead. You'll probably be on something simple today, uh, like dotting eyes, uh, uh, but it will all be in your notes. As she followed behind, Rusty could not help but admire Nancy's natty utility belt, with set squares, rulers and various fountain pens arranged by size. It made her battered wooden pencil case look a bit primary school, and she made a mental note to upgrade herself at the first paycheck. This was assuming they decided to keep her at all. Her first day was not going quite as she'd visualised it whilst failing to fall asleep last night. There was not time for further reflection, however, as they arrived in filing, and Rusty was mildly surprised to find that the counter was attended by a bookish-looking older gentleman with apron and steel eyepieces, and a medium-sized primate with similar apron, albeit smaller, and a flat cap, sucking laconically on a brass spoon attached to a chain round its neck. Before she could say anything other than a small gurgle, the primate had ducked under the counter to retrieve Nancy's wheeled filing drawers and push them out to her. The man, clearly identifying Rusty as so knew it hurt, reached for a clipboard. Name? he inquired without looking up. Uh, uh, Inglemop? ventured Rusty optimistically, and then felt her face redden as the clerk flicked back and forth amongst his typed sheets of foolscap with no success. Um, uh, I might be under... Tingle drop, uh, but that's not really. The man cut her short with a raised hand and continued to flick his papers. The tension was palpable, and glancing at the nonplussed primate who was sucking on his spoon again whilst waiting for his next assignment, she decided to try and crack the ice. Ah! Uh-huh. She gurgled and pointed without really thinking. Uh-huh. Monkey, a teaspoon, eh, eh? With this. The animal gave her the dirtiest stare she had ever received in all her days, the spoon dropping from his mouth in sheer disgust at the statement, and then it turned and walked out of the booth. Even the clerk and Arkwright looked at her slack-jawed. Oh, oh, flipperations, Uh, what have I, uh, oh gosh, garbled Rusty incoherently. He's not too happy with you muttered the clerk sternly. Anyone with eyes can see that he's an ape, not a monkey. Oh, gosh, to goodness, I am so... But she was cut off again as the man finally found her name on his sheet. Tingle drop, two, three, one, called out the clerk loudly so the departed chimp could hear in the filing room. The tale is the giveaway, he added. What tail? burbled Rusty, feeling that she was glowing red so much it was probably illuminating the whole room. Precisely, added the clerk, as a set of filing drawers was shoved roughly out of the back room 
and Rusty realised that she'd better grab them and get a move on. Oh, 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 I really am so, so sorry, pleaded Rusty, bending down to call under the counter towards the sulking ape. I'm I'm not a speciesist or anything. Oh, honestly, I am... We need to go, snapped Nancy from the doorway, her front already turned and her back retreating down the corridor. Right, oh gosh, so, so, so sorry again, muttered Rusty, grabbing the drawers and wheeling them out after her. The clerk shook his head sternly as they departed. In any case, that was obviously a dessert spoon, he chanted to himself. But the ladies were already out of earshot. Kicking herself mentally in the rear for her primate-related faux pas, Rusty suddenly had to swerve hard to avoid a collision. An oriental-looking lady in a smart silk waistcoat accompanied by two burly men in long trench coats and hats pulled low over their eyes, had stormed around the corner without looking. They were clearly heading for the filing room, and they didn't care who they had to trample on to get there. Mind out of the way, snarled one of the men, and Rusty could do little other than mumble a pathetic, sorry, before they were gone. Gosh, she thought to herself sarcastically. Could they be any more suspicious? But she could not dwell on the rude strangers further as she began to hear the rumblings of the famous hot desk transit system, used exclusively by Monkey Teaspoon to the covetousness of many a bigger design agency in the metropolis. The complicated system worked by employing a series of conveyor belts carrying one-person personal desk platforms on rails around the building. And as she rounded the final corner to the departure platform, Rusty could see this amazing contraption in action for the first time. Each personal unit was equipped with a drafting desk, an adjustable chair, heated, angle-poise lamp, and a complicated telephonic system with wires and dials going down to the conveying mountings on the floor. Finally, each little unit had an area to clamp one's filing cabinet, and for this purpose the mechanism caused the contraptions to lift off the belts and pause briefly at a ramp configuration so that each employee in turn could push their cabinet into position and jump aboard. With the consummate ease of one seasoned in such things, Nancy locked her drawers into place and jumped aboard as the desk that was clearly intended for Rusty chunted and clicked into the Ray's loading position. Oh, oh, crikey, jabbered Rusty in mild panic as the little train confronted her and she shoved her drawers with all her might up onto the little platform and then clung on for grim death as the little carriage unlocked from the ramp, dropped onto the rails, and began to move off on the conveyor belt into the building. Good work, praised Nancy from the desk ahead. Oh, you'll soon get used to it all. After this, she proceeded to show her how a pair of petals under the desk could be used to close up on the desk ahead or drop back to the one following. This way, desks could be bunched up for meetings or to enable two colleagues to confer. 
For everything else, there was a little Rolodex and the telephone system to call other people in the building. Nancy showed her how to plug in her personal number using the matrix and copper routing cables provided. Uh, you're all set, I think, suggested Nancy. Take a look in your top drawer. Uh, you should have today's assignment. Probably something very simple to get you started. Doing as she was bid and taking care to keep her balance as the desk continued to trundle its way along the slightly uneven rails, Rusty opened the drawer and then immediately slammed it tightly shut. Instead of the expected paperwork and instructions, the top drawer instead contained a single full-scap folder labelled, in no uncertain terms, and block capitals, Homeland Security. Top most secret plans, highest clearance only. Or else. Rusty gulped hard and gingerly pulled open the drawer slightly to make sure there was no mistake. But there really wasn't. There'd obviously been some terrible error, and it didn't take long for her to work out what it was. The number on her drawer's little brass plaque, which she only became aware of now, read 232, and not 231. The filing chimp, in his fit of pique, or just because he hated her guts, had given her the wrong drawers, and they were flipping top-secret drawers to boot. Before she could consider this any further, there came a jovial cry of, Ahoy there, teammate! from her right, and Rusty jumped in her seat as she realised that a dashing man in the following desk had peddled himself up behind. I'm Bartholomew Shackleton Biscuit, uh, but you can call me Toad. Glad to have you aboard. He held out an elegant hand, but before she could take it, her desk began to turn a corner and he disappeared out of sight. Before he reappeared again, Nancy called out from just ahead, At the beverage row, at the time to grab a cuppa. Just follow my lead. Rusty realised that this whole stretch of corridor had a complicated-looking dispensing facility running alongside it, festooned with buttons, dials, pipes, and its own little conveyor belt that ran alongside at shoulder height. Select your choice of cup first, called out Nancy, clicking one of the chunky-looking buttons, causing a china teacup to drop from a little rack onto the mini belt. Uh, then pick your choice of beverage, continued Nancy. But Rusty was not really listening as her desk drew level with the daunting machine and the first row of ten buttons labelled with things like medium mug and dainty teacup confronted her. Uh, uh, choice of cup? She gurgled, looking anxiously at the row of buttons. Then dial in your strength and temperature, continued Nancy from somewhere up ahead as the contraption started to gurgle and vent steam. The cup selection panel was now receding behind her, no choice yet having been made, and she had to reverse pedal a little to stay alongside. This in turn caused the man called Toad and the other following desks to have to begin to pedal away also. Oh, uh, sorry, uh, but I don't know. I, uh, oh, cup, she stammered, realising as she bumped into Toad's following desk 
that a choice was required without delay, or she would miss out altogether. In panic, she jabbed at a button labelled Largest Flagon, and a gigantic pewter cup dropped down to the little belt and began to chug towards the leaf dispenser section. Oh, oh gosh, no, cried Rusty, almost in tears, and jabbed again, this time at the final button, Expresso Capet, and a tiny porcelain cup dropped inside the flagon with a clunk. By now, the nested cups and a completely flustered Rusty were drawing alongside another set of buttons, labelled for all kinds of coffees, teas and herbal concoctions, some of which she had never even heard of. Oh, oh, what do I do now? wailed Rusty as Toad, trying to be helpful, leaned over her desk and gesticulated in a manly fashion. Select a beverage, he suggested, with a note of impatience in his tone. But it was clear that consternation was now spreading back along the track as desks started to bump into one another and much frantic reverse pedalling could be heard. Oh, golly, he added, beginning to sound alarmed. Just select something. Not wanting to wreck everything on her first day, Rusty closed her eyes and stabbed desperately at one of the buttons, but accidentally clicked two instead, and both coffee granules and a reddish-looking fine leaf powder dropped into and around her cup stack. The next section had wheels to dial for water temperature and then levers for sugar and so forth. Utterly lost to wild panic now, Rusty whizzed and stabbed at them almost at random. And sugar, water, cream and steam shot hither and thither. At this stage, however, her desk was some two feet beyond the end of the contraption, and she had to lean back over Toad's desk to try and reach her cups, which were dropping inexorably out of reach. Look, uh, I, I don't want to alarm you unduly, started Toad, in a manner which alarmed her greatly. But, but there are points coming up, and you really need to flag a direction now. She looked forward to see that indeed a junction in the belts was coming up, and a pair of chimps were waving to try and get her attention. Oh, goodness to buggeration! What do, what do I, what do I, how do I? screamed Rusty. Toad pointed urgently towards a little flag on a pivot at the front of her trolley. Flick the flag! Flick the flag! She spied the flag, but since she was now sprawled over both her and Toad's desks, trying to reach her drink, her only option seemed to be to try and reach out with one pointed toe and try and flick it over. It, it took a good three goes, but finally her foot caught the flag flicking it to the left. And with incredible speed, the two chimps pulled levers and unplugged and replugged her onto the left hand of the two tracks, which headed more or less straight on. A little relief settled over her, but this was rather short-lived, as she realised with a jolt that Nancy had gone the other way, and she was rapidly moving out of view into another part of the building, her eyes wide in total disbelief. Toad, too, had signalled right, and it was too late for him to change and follow her. He raised his arms to try and calm her. Uh, uh, don't worry, uh, it's just the meeting room branch. 
We'll be on the smooth way, so if you don't divert again, we should see you in the canteen. Don't do anything. But she missed the last part, as another corner meant he disappeared completely from view, and Rusty was alone with her trundling desk and the sounds of the clanking from all around her. Oh, I didn't even get a drink, she sobbed softly as she straightened herself up and tried to take in her surroundings. Well, that is an unfortunate episode. What will happen to poor old Rusty, lost in the monkey teaspoon design agency, caught up in who knows what secret goings on? Tune in next week to find out. However, for now, this is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb signing off. Good night, New Orleans. I wish you dreams of a bright future. All stories, voices, and characters created by and copyright to Darren Callum. All music by Charlotte Savigar. Tales of New Albion is available to buy from Amazon online stores or via Bandcamp, where the album is also available. For more information, go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production from Albion Radio Phonics.